So, Matt, in uh, the today I learned thing, you know, that you always see that hashtag today I learned. Yeah, I was deal. I was I was today years old when right, I learned right, this. Right. So like, that the Arby's logo is actually a cowboy hat. Exactly. So in the whole today, Adam learned, you know, that song Angry Chair by Allison Chains. Mm-hmm. OK, it, I just found out that that song was not about hemorrhoids. <laughs> On that note, three, two, one. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now. Pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this All right, Matt. So that little intro there, that was from our live event. I know, isn't that great? That is awesome. Man, I'm I was kind of surprised everybody knew our intro. <laughs> forget everybody just kind of skips it. Yeah, they're like, eh, eh, forget that. No, that that was awesome. I mean, it's so much fun. Uh, thank you again yeah. to those that came out and saw us there and those that knew our intro well enough to holler it back at us. We yep. really like that. Yep, it's great. Uh, Want to talk about goosebumps. That'll give you goosebumps. Uh-huh. Every you time. Know? Yep, I know. It's great. Um. Also, one other thing we wanted to talk about is Christmas will be here before you know it. And if you're at Walmart, it's already here. Right. And I'm getting real sick of that, by the way. <laughs> you know, we're skipping a whole holiday. Listen, Halloween is just the the introduction of the holiday season. That's all it is. Right. But I think if you're going to start decorating for Christmas now, you are forfeiting your plate at Thanksgiving. Because at this point, you're saying... <laughs> well, Thanksgiving doesn't exist. I'm going straight into Christmas. Yeah. Well, now look, this has always been my theory that Thanksgiving is dress rehearsal for Christmas. That's it's not like a bad plan. You 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 get everybody together in in one house, make sure you can feed everybody, and then you're like, all right, come back in a month, and that this time bring presents. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, I like that thought. That's a good thought, and it it starts stretching your stomach. Yeah, that's right. For Christmas and everything. But you still got to, you know, take it for what it is, and it's its own holiday. So if you're already decorating, then you don't get a plate. I get your plate because yep. I'm not going to decorate for Christmas. You better put some turkeys on that tree and call it a Thanksgiving Day tree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Make it look like Thanksgiving, and then you get a plate. Um. Anyway, a tangent over. Uh, that's right. Well, that's what but we're we are. still talking about Christmas. Right. So we're just a tangent show. I figured that out. That's, that's all we do. Um, we want to do like we did last year. If you guys remember last year, we had, we went off the old tradition of telling ghost stories and scary stories around Christmas. So we want to do that again. So we want you guys to send in your personal stories. If you've had a personal experience, it doesn't have to be ghost, you know, ghost related. It can be ghost. It can be a cryptid encounter that you've had. It can be a creepy time slip type thing. You've had anything like that, anything yeah, that weirdness. we've talked about. Um, In fact, I, I'd even say we're, we're open to if you've written your own fictional ghost story. Right. Not like a Not, 35 page. Right. Thing. Right. Yeah. We, we don't want to read your novella. Right. On but the air. If you've got a short story, if you've got or a short like story, that. you know, we'll, we, we'd love to read it. Right. So. so Send those to us, email them to us at graveyardtalespodcast at gmail.com and put in the subject line, put Christmas episode, because we get a ton of emails and I'll take this time to apologize if we haven't responded to you yet, Uh, but we get a ton of emails. So please put Christmas episode so that we can find it and save it for the Christmas episode, but start sending those in as soon as you want to. Um, we'll give you kind of a deadline as it gets closer. Um, I, I just got to say this. I, if sleeping funny gives you a crick in your neck, I slept hilarious last night. <laughs> this is going to be a tough episode. Adam, Adam and his neck. I know, man. That's my chronic thing is the neck. So yeah. if anybody has any 
magical spells that they can shoot my way that'll yeah. fix my neck. Please Adam's do it. Neck, match back. Yeah. Don't finish that. No. No. <laughs> don't step on a crack. I don't, I don't know. I got nothing. All right. So let's get right into it. So, Matt, tell us, what are we talking about tonight? All right. Tonight, we are going to release the Kraken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to talk about the Kraken. Right. Is it a myth? Is it real? Or yeah. is it something in between? And, you know, we we mentioned that we would probably touch on some more of these mythical type That's right. creatures. So here's another one. Yeah. So... Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you're gonna you're gonna hear you're gonna hear all sides tonight. And, and when we first started talking about this, I said, uh, "Can we do a whole show on the Kraken?" I mean, <laughs> you know, have, 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 haven't we already got this sorted out? Yeah, right. No, we have not. We don't. And so, it's weird how that happens all the time. I know. You start digging. And then you turn over this rock, and then, oh, crap, there's 12 more rocks I got to turn over, and there's 12 <laughs> under each more of those. And Yeah, you're sifting through pea gravel by the end of yeah, it going, right? ah. Yeah, okay. How call, much more? Call this down into less than an hour and a half. Yeah. You know? so, so off the coast of Norway, at the bottom of the ocean, the giant kraken slumbers. When he wakes with an empty stomach, he heads up towards the ocean's surface, bringing mighty ripples with him. Any ship who spots these ripples must flee or face destruction. So I'm, it's I'm the really, old children's tale from the sea. I'm yeah. really sad you didn't do that in a pirate voice. <laughs> well, look, I was going to read the Alfred Lord Tennyson, but I figured out I was I was stealing Forrest Thunder <laughs> at that point. So yeah. I wasn't going to do that. No. You know, you shouldn't. But plus, I read through it and I was like, "Man, this sounds r- ridiculous. Right. I, I can't read this." <laughs> well, you should have at least uh, said, "Must flee, <laughs> yeah. must flee, or face destruction." Now, was that a I, pirate? <laughs> it is if you put "i" after it. Arg. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, where did all this start? So, where did the idea of of a kraken begin? And you know the. The concept of sea monsters and and things of the like, you know, were not foreign centuries ago. In fact, they were probably much more commonplace than they are now. Right. Because the ocean was so undiscovered. And even today, I mean, we have only, we have really only searched and explored a small fraction of, of the ocean's on this planet. One or two percent, I think. Yeah, it's really, really small. And you know, I heard a thing the other day that says, we have explored more of outer space mm-hmm. than we have explored our own ocean. Yep. Which, that's pretty amazing. Yep, it's amazing and scary. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're we're all concerned about what's going on in the universe above us, but we got stuff swimming around right below us, maybe. <laughs> right. That <laughs> Somebody we... ought to go down there and look. Yeah. But the history of the Kraken goes back to an account written in 1180 by King Sverre of Norway. Now, as with a lot of legends, the, the Kraken legend started with seeing something you didn't know and uh, assigning attributes to it. You know, for ancient navigators, the, the sea was treacherous and dangerous, you know, hiding just, I mean, a horde of monsters and it's inconceivable depths. So any encounter with an unknown animal could gain myth, a mythological edge from these sailor stories. Right. You know, after all the tale grows in the telling. Right. So according to Scandinavian mythology, the Kraken is a giant sea creature said to be one mile long that attacks ships and is generally described as an octopus or squid. According to some tales, the Kraken was so huge that its body could be mistaken for an island. Now, in the written word, it's first mentioned in the Orvar Odor, which is a 13th century Icelandic saga involving two sea monsters, the Hafgufa and the Lingbakar. The Hafgufa is supposed to be a reference to the Kraken, 
and it's described as being the hugest monster in the sea. Now, around that same time, you know, circa 1250, another report about the Kraken was documented in Norwegian scientific work, the, I'm going to butcher this one. <laughs> so we, we've got listeners that are in Scandinavian countries, mm-hmm. and they're probably just laughing. Oh, Matt, yeah. Matt can't say these words. <laughs> he can't. Uh, this is the, the scientific work, the Konungs Skugsja. It said that the only two, that, oh, they are the only two that existed because they could not reproduce and would need so much food that they could not survive. And it goes on to describe the Kraken's feeding habits. Now, this, is, this gets interesting. So they claim that it would, it would trap surrounding fish by stretching its neck with a belch releasing food from its mouth. The fish would be lured by the food and would enter the Kraken's mouth to feed. Now, as a result, a huge number of fish would be trapped when the Kraken closed its mouth. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, it, this, is, this phenomena is further explained in other works as being vomit or fecal matter. Right. Crack and poop. Crack and poop. Yeah. See, it, it's weird because that's a, the exact same reason that I catch so much fish. I just wade out there, <laughs> take a little poop, the fish all come around, you just net them. I mean, that, <laughs> the secrets to catching as many fish as I catch, you know. I'm never going fishing with you, <laughs> ever. You, you will if you want to catch fish. <laughs> I'll teach you my ways, young Padwan. God. <laughs> Well, I'm not going noodling with you. <laughs> no, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> I got this brown catfish. <laughs> yeah, oh, man, that's, that's bait. That's he's catfish, but eating corn. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So the the kraken would uh, would bait all these fish with its vomit or its kraken poop. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, Bishop Eric. Pantampadan, I you know what? I practiced this like a hundred times today, and <laughs> and he threw me off with him with his poop fishing. Just just say uh, just P instead of his last name. Yeah, it's Pantampadan. He uh, he wrote the book The Natural History of Norway. Let's get back on track. Here. <laughs> Now, his theory is that a monster of this size would need to eat tons upon tons of fish to survive. So naturally, Kraken poop would be full of fishy bits that attracted other fish. Makes sense. So fishermen from the time would recount stories of, quote unquote, muddy water that would appear that would bring these hordes of fish to the area resulting in a plentiful catch. Mm -hmm. So there was an idea that they knew this muddy water was cracking poop, but they also knew that they could really catch a lot of fish around this area. Right. So these sailors were really having to overcome a lot of their fear because they knew if the poop was there, the Kraken was about to eat. And they needed to fish and get out right. because this thing was coming to the surface. And you didn't want to be around when the Kraken decided it was time to come to the surface. You missed that window and you're dead. Right. So even with its massive size, why are we really afraid of a giant sea creature that only feeds on fish? But the legend grew into tales that the Kraken could devour an entire ship's crew at one time. And so these brave sailors would venture out to make a more successful fishing trip, but were ever wary to vacate the area, for if the Kraken came to the surface to feed, giant whirlpools would suck ships down into the ocean depths. So you got, you got two different ways the Kraken's going to get you. Mm-hmm. Number one, it's going to come up and it's going to grab your ship and eat your crew. 
Right. Number two, even if it don't get you, it's going to go back down and it's so big that it's going to create this whirlpool that you can't escape. And it's just going to suck your boat down. Right. What they would have called like a maelstrom. A maelstrom. That's exactly what it's called. Very good. Thank that's you. A, that's a $5 word right, right there, man. I paid for it, too. <laughs> He's got a, a word of the day calendar. <laughs> in my head. Yeah, in his head. I use one. I learn one word a day. Uh-huh. And that's the word I use all day that day and find a way to work it into every sentence. I may I may have to get one of those with Scandinavian <laughs> words. It'll help. <laughs> I don't know that it will, <laughs> but um, so the Swedish author Jacob Wallenberg described the Kraken in, in his 1781 work, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce, but it's translated to my son on the galley. And this is what he said. Now, this is a quote from Wallenberg's book. Gradually, Kraken ascends to the surface. And when he is at 10 to 12 fathoms, the boats had better move out of his vicinity, as he will shortly thereafter burst up like a floating island, spurting water from his dreadful nostrils and making ring waves around him, which can reach many miles. Could one doubt that this is the Leviathan of Job? So Wallenberg makes a point that I think anybody that has even made a tertiary glance at information about the Kraken to talk about the Leviathan that's mentioned in the book of Job. Right. You know, the, the large sea monster, um, you know, who knows, but this is one of these things that keeps you from just completely dismissing this as another, you know, fish tale. Right. But you know, Right. Um, yeah, you know, when when things are mentioned in accepted works, you know, it, it's you know, not like Joe Schmo's book about, you know, hey, I wrote a book about these old elves that live in shoes and they make your shoes smell bad because they do all this work at night. Not, right. Not, not like that. I mean, you know, I'm talking about an established work that mentions, you know, either a natural phenomenon or a person, something like that, it gives credibility to the story. Mm-hmm. Now, even though it the the biblical text does not go into detail about what the Leviathan looked like other than its enormous size. Um for the time, and you know, we're we're talking about now, you know, seventeen hundreds. There wasn't enough knowledge of what was out in the ocean for them to disbelieve anything that they had heard up to that point, especially when the Bible spoke of a sea monster of tremendous size that was somewhere out there in the ocean. Right. And if you look at maps from that uh, that time frame, there were always in different seas, they would paint a different sea monster or something so again that's an accepted work and Mm -hmm. you know you've got these guys that have these maps that they're using to navigate and they know over here is kraken territory Mm -hmm. so you got to watch out when you go into you know the seas over here because you could run into the kraken you know so that you know they see that and they they take it as a legitimate fact exactly and so while we're talking about things being accepted as legitimate fact. Let's talk about what the scientists of the day were, were believing what they were writing. Um, The Kraken was mentioned in the first edition of the Sistema Naturae, which was published in 1735, which is a tax taxonomic classification of living organisms by the Swedish botanist, physician and zoologist, Carl Linnaeus. Now, you've probably heard that name before if you think back to to biology class yep. in high school. I was going to say, you know, in biology, and because I was like taking college biology and anatomy and physiology in high school, yeah. that that was my major or was going to be. I I heard about Linnaeus all the time. 
Right. You know, it, it came up all the time. But yeah. I mean, you know, he, he developed the, the system of naming and labeling, mm-hmm. you know, all these animals right. that, you know, were the, were the known animals at the time. But he included the Kraken. So he classified the Kraken as a cephalopod, designating the scientific name Microcosmus Moranus. Although any mention of the Kraken was later admitted, was later omitted in the editions of the Systema Naturae, he does go back in his work, Fauna Suicica, talking about the Kraken as a unique monster that is said to inhabit the seas of Norway, but that I have not seen this animal. So he at least puts a disclaimer in another work that says, there's a lot of reports that this thing exists, but I've never seen it. Right. Which I'm sure he's, he's, he's talking about a lot of animals that he had never seen. Oh, sure. Probably. You know, I mean, you know, there, there were people coming back with, can you imagine somebody showing up talking about penguins? Yep. Or the There's platypus. these birds that can't fly. Oh, the platypus. Forget about the platypus. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that, that's yeah. still, that still was like, why? We could do a whole show on the weirdness around the platypus. That's right. You know, it wouldn't be too far out of our realm. <laughs> it's this thing with a duck bill that's furry and it stings you. Yeah. You know, it can actually sting you and hurt real bad. And, and it's a mammal, but it lays eggs. Yeah. And it's weird. Yep. So... In 1752, um, Bishop Eric Potompadon, I did it again. I probably said it three <laughs> different ways. Um, I mentioned him earlier. He published The Natural History of Norway, in which he defended the existence of sea serpents, mermaids, and the kraken. Now, the bishop used eyewitness testimony of credible individuals, such as naval officer Lawrence DeFerry. Now, Ferry stated that had he not only witnessed a sea serpent in 1746, but he also had shot at it and hit it. But when he hit it, Ferry says that the monster dove into the water and disappeared. Now, Potompadon's work was significant for many reasons, but mostly because of its influence on accounts from the sea. Now, the Belgian-French cryptozoologist Bernard Huvelmans reported that prior to the publication of this book in 1752-53, to there were only nine documented sightings of sea serpents. Okay? Only nine. There were 23 sightings between 1751 and 1800. 166 sightings between 1801 and 1850, 149 sightings between 1851 and 1900, and 194 sightings between 1901 and 1950. Good grief. Now that's now you think about that. 1901 to 1950 there were almost 200 sightings of sea serpents. Mhm. So I I guess yeah, there's a there's a few of these things that we've talked about in the past that would fall in that time frame. Right. Um but um but that's a lot. It really is. I mean, you would almost think it would be reversed. Yeah. That you would have more stories that the further away and as things began to People were were better educated, were more traveled, that they would dwindle off. People were more apt to go, I don't know what that is, but I'm guessing it's supposed to be there. Right. You know, it's some other animal that I've never seen, and that's just a big one. Right. The only thing in that would go contrary to that is that with each passing decade, more and more people are traveling. True. So, you know, that would be the only thing that would um, negate that. But you would still think that there would be more, I guess, scrutiny put on these sightings than just saying, oh, it's a sea serpent. But what if it is an actual sea serpent? I know. You know? Yeah. So in the book, 
Abominable Science, Origins of the Yeti, Nessie, and Other Famous Cryptids, Daniel Loxton and Donald Prothero argue that uh, Potompadon gave a cultural template to which people could apply sightings of strange things in the sea, which they did not understand. So they're biased. Right. And they said it, especially after the book was translated into English, the sightings went up even more. Um, but yeah, if, if you tell me, I'll tell you where this is. I, I've done this and I've, and I, and I've felt this. Somebody hands you something and they say, here, taste this. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay. And then before you taste it, you know what it's supposed to taste like, but then they tell you, doesn't it taste like this? And next thing you know, it tastes like that. Sure. You know it's not supposed to. You know what it's supposed to taste like. But they've put this in your head to now you have actually fooled your taste buds and go, yeah, I taste it. It tastes like, tastes like something else. Yeah. It's very similar. You know, if I'm going to put an idea in your head and I'm going to say, there's this creature out there in the ocean and people have seen it and we don't really know what it is, but it's out there. If you're out on the ocean and you've read this book or if you've had somebody that's read it talk to you about it and you see something that you don't understand, sea serpent, mm-hmm. look at that. You know, I mean, we talk about it all the time with, you know, paranormal things like ghosts and um, e- even North American cryptids. I mean, how how many of those sightings are due to somebody just thinking that that they saw it or it's in their head? That they're going to see it. Sure. You know, and all of a sudden you see something that's natural and you think it's something maybe unnatural. Mm-hmm. So in 1802, the zoologist Pierre Denis de Montfort published his encyclopedic description of mollusks. Boy, that sounds like an, that's that's a toilet book right there. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you got to you got to really dig into a. An encyclopedia of mollusks. <laughs> you right. need you need some long reading time right there. That's something you got to want to read. <laughs> or have to. Right. You know, you look down, it's like, well, I've already read through this uh, Entertainment Weekly. Yeah. What's this? Encyclopedia of mollusks. Well, all right, I'm going to be here a while. Yeah. <laughs> but in this, in this encyclopedia of mollusks, uh, Monfort recognizes two types of giant octopus. Now, Monfort claimed that the first type, the Kraken octopus, had been described by Norwegian sailors and American whalers, as well as ancient writers such as Pliny the Elder. You gotta love Pliny, man. Pliny the Elder. It sounds like a rap guy. It, give it 10 years and yeah. it probably will be. But I, can you, I can see it on a chance. Chance the Rapper and Plenty the Elder. Featuring Plenty the Elder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love Plenty. If you if you guys don't know anything about Plenty the Elder, go look him up in regards to some of his medical treatments. Holy crap, the guy's funny. He's so wrong on yeah. so much stuff, but it's hilarious. Yeah. It I mean, I love it. Uh one of the things like um what we were talking about the beginning of the show, if you want to fix those things, then you need a uh, an onion suppository. That's how you fix them, <laughs> according to Pliny. So not not gonna do it. Yep, not gonna do it. Nope, not gonna do it. So the second the second type of octopus that Monfort described was called the colossal octopus, and it was reported to have attacked a sailing vessel from Saint Malo off the coast of Angola. Now, Monfort, he took it a step further. He proposed that 10 British warships, including the cap, the captured French ship, um, the Ville de Paris, which had mysteriously disappeared one night in 1782, must have got attacked and sunk by a giant octopus. The British, however, knew, courtesy of a survivor from the Ville de Paris, that the ships had been lost in a hurricane off the coast of Newfoundland in September of 1782. 
which in turn destroyed Monfort's credibility. Mm-hmm, sure, you know. Um, but you know, he he was he he was on a he was on a path. You know, he knew where he wanted to go. So I I got to give him credit. He gave it his best shot. He gave it his all, and it cost him everything. Mm-hmm. So despite all of this, the legends of the Kraken continued to abound from the cold northern waters off the coast of Norway, Greenland, and Iceland. Yet, like with many legends, uh, the stories differ. Many of the early tales from sailors describe a creature that is much more crab-like with long spindly legs instead of tentacles. But by the early 1800s, most descriptions included tentacles with suckers surrounded by sharp talons. This gave it more of an octopus or squid-like appearance, both animals that were known to exist, but not in this monstrous size. So the English biologist Sir Richard Owen, who is often credited with coining the term dinosaur, was aboard the HMS Daedalus in 1848 when the ship encountered a creature that the crew estimated to be about 60 feet in length. Now, Owen dismissed the idea that the creature was a sea monster, stating that he believed what they actually saw was a seal. That's a big seal. That's a big seal. Dad gum. (laughs) So a 60-foot seal. So this caused a long argument with the captain of the Daedalus who said that he and his crew knew full well what a seal looked like. So Owen maintained his seal theory until 1873 when fisherman Theophilus Peacott caught a giant squid off the coast of Newfoundland. So there's some existence of this tremendous creature um, dating all the way back to 1873 that maybe explained what they saw, but a squid doesn't look like a seal, but I guess, you know, in the water, we've talked about this with lake monsters, you know, anything can look like something else because the water changes the shape and the size and the reflection and everything. You know, you, something looks a whole lot bigger than it really is. Maybe it was a squeal. A squeal. I hope not. <laughs> so, did the Kraken really exist? Was there a giant cephalopod that, or or is there one that haunts the deep uh, in the Northern Sea? Or is there another story of a misidentified animal that we now know exists? So, Mark, Ma- Mark McMiniman, what a name, um, Mark McMiniman, a paleontologist at Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts, presented a theory in 2011 that perhaps there were indeed giant cephalopods that fed on prehistoric ocean-dwelling reptiles. So McMiniman's theory is based on the discovery of vertebrae of a giant ichthyosaur in the Berlin Ichthyosaur, Ichthyosaur State Park in Nevada. The ichthyosaur was a huge flippered aquatic reptile that lived during the Triassic period. Now, ichthyosaurs grew to about the size of a school bus. That's a big swimmy uh, lizard. That's thing. one big saurus. I'm telling you, you think he saurus? <laughs> and any predator that was going to take down an animal this big had to be a whole lot bigger. Right. Okay. So the vertebrae that were found were arranged in this strange linear pattern. And so McMiniman theorized that this pattern was very similar to what modern day octopuses do with the bones of their prey. They create a midden or a dump pile, which conceals the entrance to their hideaway. Thus, believing that there could indeed have been a giant cephalopod that fed on animals the size of the ichthyosaur. Now, McMiniman's theory was not widely accepted, but it got a boost when another ichthyosaur skeleton was found with the exact same patterning. Now, further inspection of this skeleton revealed broken ribs 
that suggest the rib cage had been crushed by, let's say, a giant octopus or squid. Right. Okay. So there's evidence, albeit small, that a natural creature much larger than what we know today could possibly have existed several hundred years ago. Right. And could have been witnessed by sailors, maybe was large enough to attack ships, you know, or at least inadvertently cause ships to sink. Um, and, and this could be the Kraken. Right. You know, but um, I'm going to let Adam kind of dig into uh, what he thinks or what, uh, what a lot of people think. Right. The Kraken is, was, or could, could be. be. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> We'll we'll keep going down the path that Matt has started us on here with the giant octopus. Um, you know that that is becoming more accepted uh, of something like that because they have actually found the giant Pacific octopus, and this is modern day. Um, it grows bigger and lives longer than any other octopus species. The size record for one of these is held by a specimen that was 30 feet across and weighed more than 600 pounds. So if you can imagine modern day, we've got a 30 foot across 600 pound octopus. Yeah. Imagine throwing that on the ice at a Red Wings game. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You would, you'd be there for months cleaning that up. Yeah. <laughs> Game over. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, the average lifespan for these giant octopus in the wild is three to five years, but the average size is a little bit less than the 30 feet across. The The average size is about nine and three quarters to 16 feet across. But what might throw a, a wrench into the gears is their diet and the range. Now, they hunt at night. And they usually only eat shrimp, clams, and lobsters and fish, but they have been Sounds known. like me on vacation. Exactly. And Matt in Florida. Um, they have been known, though, to attack and eat sharks as well as birds. And they use Wait, that. Birds? Yeah. An octopus? Well, if it's like a seabird that lands on the sea and it's close to the shore, it could get one, but. They're usually not there because maybe, they're usually deeper. Maybe sticks a tentacle up out like a branch. It could. Just kind of hangs out there. Hey. And then a bird lands on it. Cephalopods says, are smart, man. They, they could are. do it. They are very intelligent. Um, the range for these is usually throughout the temperate waters uh, of the Pacific. So that's from Southern California to Alaska, west to the Aleutian Islands and Japan. So that kind of throws a wrench into it being seen you know, in the seas where the Kraken was supposedly seen. Um, but Matt talked about Kraken poop for a little bit. So let, let's touch back on Kraken poop. Yeah, probably longer than I should have. Yeah, yeah that drug out <laughs> a little long. Um, some of those things you should have thought, not said, but, you know, it's okay. <laughs> I had the same problem. <laughs> um, one of the theories about the Kraken poop and, and the darkening of the water that drew fish in was that these were algae blooms and it, it, you know, the algae would draw smaller fish and that would draw larger fish and then in turn larger fish. So you would have schooling and feeding around this algae bloom, which if sailors and fishermen back then knew, okay, when the water gets dark, the fish show up, they might not know anything about algae. So what would they put it on? They would put it on the Kraken. Right. But the theory is still the same. Yes, the algae bloom would then draw the fish in to eat. You know, we've heard maybe modern day Kraken still exist. Well, I'll link to this story um, so that you can see the pictures of it. But this is from 2016, and it's a viral video that supposedly shows this massive disturbance in the waters around an Antarctic point called Deception Island. Now, there's 
a YouTuber by the name of Wow For Reels. And I, I think I said that right because there's a whole lot of E's in this. Wow <laughs> For Reels. Um, he, he's got a, a video out there that shows this and he goes through measuring it and everything with the um, Google Maps measuring and all that. But UFO Sightings Daily actually commented on this, and they said, this looks like the Kraken. I used used Google Ruler, and it says this is 30 meters or 100 feet from head to end, but the end looks like just the mid area of a giant squid, which means it could be 60 plus meters long with tentacles. That sounds like a Kraken to me. (laughs) Okay. It's a Kraken. Right. What a giveaway. It's big. It's got to be a Kraken. Now, a little downer on this is Andrew David Thaler of Southern Fried Science said that the massive disturbance is just a rock. A rock. Right. He said, had they pulled up nautical charts of that area, they would have realized that what they're looking at is sail rock, and it's a well-mapped outcropping that from the sea looks a bit like a ship under sail. So what, you know, you can look at the, the, the video. I'll, I'll link to it. It does look like something in the steel footage of something kind of popping out of the water, waves crashing around it, but it's sail rock sitting there with waves crashing around it. But they didn't zoom out to look at what all was around there. And if they had, they probably would have been able to figure out what it was. Yeah, because that's what most people do is they go dig up nautical maps to... Right. Explain something that they saw on right. well, Google. Maybe they should. <laughs> well, they will now. Yeah, they will now. <laughs> okay, so Matt also touched on the giant squid. Now, the giant squid is actually what most people would say today is the Kraken and what people were seeing that they called the Kraken. So let's talk a little bit about giant squid. So the giant squid is from the genus Architeuthis. It's a deep ocean-dwelling squid in the family of Architeuthidae. A giant squid can grow to a tremendous size due to the deep-sea giantism. So it means they can get bigger because they live deeper in the sea. Now, recent estimates put the maximum size at about 43 feet for females and 33 feet for males. That's 13 meters or 10 meters if you don't use the foot measurement. Um, And that's from the posterior fins to the tip of the two long feeding tentacles. And that's the feeding tentacles are what shoot out, grab the prey, and bring it back in. Um, Giant squid are carnivorous. Um, They have the long torpedo-shaped body. At one end, they've got that big beak-like mouth Mm -hmm. that they use to crush things that they eat. Now, they have eyes that are the largest in the animal kingdom. Um, they can get as big as 18 inches across. So Man, it's like dinner plate. Yeah. Size. Think about swimming and that swims up next to you. And the eye is 18 inches across. Yeah. It makes me think of, um, I was in, I was in high school or college and we were playing trivial pursuit. And the question came up, what animal has the largest eye? Mm-hmm. And the guy that answered the question, he said, the ostrich. Okay. And then he followed it up with, have you seen the size of the eggs they lay? Well, if I laid an egg that size, my eyes would be huge too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything for that. I just have to agree. Uh, um, Now, the number of different giant squid species has been debated, um, but recent genetic research suggests that there's really only that one species that we're seeing. There's not multiple species. It's just the one species of giant squid. Yeah. I don't know if you saw this, Adam. I I, I read um, a little factoid about giant squid that their muscles have these pockets of ammonia. Mm-hmm. Did you see this? Mm-hmm. So they can float 
it, without having to swim. Right. And they can stay in the same spot. Right. But the ammonia also makes them inedible. Inedible. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Inevitable. I think I'm just. I'm gonna. I'm gonna learn another language. Maybe I can talk in that language. Yeah. Right. Your mouth just gave up tonight. Or it did. It's just that I'm. I'm. I'm out the line. Yeah. So. We're done. <laughs> but yeah. So you, you wouldn't want to eat a giant squid because it's gonna have all this ammonia in it. Right. It tastes like so. cat pee. Yeah. How do you know what cat pee tastes like? It's, it smells like it's got a lot of ammonia in it, so <laughs> I can only imagine what it tastes like. But now, one of the other ginormous squid, it's not the giant squid, but it is the colossal squid, and that's sometimes called the Antarctic squid or the giant cranch squid. I've never heard that, but um, it's believed to actually be the largest squid species in terms of mass. Um, it's the only known member of its genus, and it's only known from a few specimens. Current estimates put its maximum size at 39 to 46 feet long. So that's 12 to 14 meters. And weighing possibly up to 750 kilograms or 1,650 pounds. And this is based on analysis of smaller and immature specimens, which would make it the largest known vertebrate. But we don't know much about it. We've only seen a couple partial specimens of it. So, yeah, because these creatures live somewhere between a thousand to two thousand feet below the surface. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just we just don't have the technology to just casually go down there and look around. Right. We'll see something that maybe washes up. Right. Or catch a glimpse of them if they come up to feed, because they'll mm-hmm. feed in the water column up and down. Right. You know, which, going back to the eyeball thing, if you're a sailor, you know, hundreds of years ago, and you have to go down the side of the ship to fix something on the side of the ship, and you happen to be looking down in the water, and you see one of these giant squid with an 18-inch eye swimming past the ship... You're going to think it's a monster, too. Well, I mean, yeah. it, it is a monster, but, you know, you're not going to have the the forethought to know that there are such thing as giant squid out there. And again, like we talked about, things in the ocean, you, you're not you're not really able to get an entire picture of. And like Adam is talking about, if you look down and you're seeing part of a big animal that's got an eye. 18 inches across in your mind, the you're thinking proportionally that this thing to have an eye this big has got to be just inconceivable in size. Yep. You know, that, that it may have feet that's touching the ocean floor underneath you. Right. You know, to have an eye that big. Sure. Cause so. you, you look at proportionally our eyes to our body. Mm-hmm. or any other animal that you really know of, you know, land-dwelling animal, mm-hmm. the the eye-to-body ratio is not the same. Now, that it's still a big old squid, but, you know, their eyes are larger proportionally than ours are. So if you would scale it to our proportions, you would think that. Yeah. You'd think it has to be a, a mile across. Right. You know, but... Since most people think that these giant squid are what the Kraken was, let's talk a little bit about some sightings and run-ins with the giant squid. Because there's not that many, but there are some good ones. Now, the French dispatch steamer, the Alecton, was cruising off the Canary Islands late in November of 1861 when its crew spotted something unusual in the water. It looked like a large sea monster with many arms and a long tail. The gunboat, firing cannon and musket at the strange apparition, pursued it until they could get close enough to throw harpoons into its body. The harpoons wouldn't stay in the flesh for long, but finally the crew managed to get a noose around the tail of the monster. As they tried to pull the thing aboard, the rope tightened and cut through the animal. Most of the creatures sank into the sea, but the ship's captain decided to take the tail of the thing back to the French consul in Tenerife. From there, the tail 
and a report about the creature made its way to the French Academy of Sciences. At the Academy, the report was widely ridiculed. No serious scientist could believe in such a creature. As one member said, it was against the laws of nature. Now, against the laws of nature or not, the creature seen by the Alcaton's crew did exist. Today, we know that this creature is real. They saw a giant squid. But you see the reaction that it got from scientists back in the day. Mm-hmm. There's no way that a squid like that could exist. You know, It defies the laws of nature that they knew at That's the right. time. You know? That ought to just be the basis of this show. It really should it, be. It, it kind of is. You know, we talk about a lot of things. Some of them we really believe in passionately. Some of them we don't really believe at all, but we, they're worth talking about. And, and some of them we're kind of on the fence. But the one thing that holds true with everything Adam and I discuss is that we believe that we don't know everything. Exactly. And that there's bound to be a just myriad of stuff out there that we haven't discovered yet. Right. So, and, and like Matt said, we see it all the time. You yeah. know, uh, you go historical documents and they, they disbelieve everything. But then a hundred years or, or so later, we've proven that it does exist. Here's the evidence of it. And, you know, sorry, old scientist, but, you know, your view was skewed. We've learned more. So wh- why can't that happen now? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Saying something 100% without a doubt does not exist. Famous last word. Exactly. Now, the largest giant squid ever measured was discovered, and I, I, I love this name. It was discovered at Timble Tickle. On November 2nd, <laughs> 1878. I want to live there. I do too, man. I'm go- I'm moving to Timble Tickle. Ashley, let's go to Timble Tickle. <laughs> no, not that way. I don't mean it that way, Matt. PG show. That's right. Uh, so three fishermen were working not far offshore when they noticed a mass floating on the, on the ocean they took to be wreckage. They investigated and found a giant squid had run aground. Using their anchor as a grappling hook, they snagged the still-living body and made it fast to a tree. When the tide went out, the creature was left high and dry. When the animal died, the fisherman measured it and then chopped it up for dog meat. <laughs> God, the, the crap they did back in the day. Yeah, now, let's, let's feed it to the dog. Well, well, let's noose this thing to a tree and then let it die. Yeah, And then we'll measure it and then we'll chop it up for dog meat. The body of the squid was 20 feet from tail to beak. The longer tentacles measured 35 feet and were tipped with four-inch suckers. Can you believe that? I mean, that's, that's crazy. 25 feet plus 35 feet. That's a long squid. Yeah. That's a big squid. And then you put it in the water? Yeah. I mean... The thing looks twice that size. Sure. The way it's moving and you can't see all of it at one time. And the massive power that it has in, in the water right. where it's, it's, that's its home. Yeah. You know, you bring it up on land. Sure. It can't do anything, yeah. you know, hey. but you put hey, wor- words I live by. Yeah. When you, you are in the ocean, you are no longer top of the food chain. No, you put me in the ocean and I'm, I'm pretty useless. I can swim, but that's about all I can do. <laughs> yeah. I got nothing. Um, so we know that the giant squid tangled with whales from eyewitness accounts. In October of 1966, two lighthouse keepers at Danger Point, South Africa, observed a baby southern right whale under attack from a giant squid. For an hour and a half, the monster clung to the whale, trying to drown it as the whale's mother watched helplessly. Quote, the little whale could stay down for 10 to 12 minutes, then come up. It would just have enough time to spout only two or three seconds and then right down again. So the squid finally won and the baby whale was never seen again. And giant squid have been seen in battle with adult whales too. In 1965, a Soviet whaler 
watch a battle between a squid and a 40-ton sperm whale. In this case, neither were victorious. The strangled whale was found floating in the sea with the squid's tentacles wrapped around the whale's throat. The squid's severed head was found in the whale's stomach. So sperm whale eats squid, and originally it had been thought that such battles were the result of a sperm whale taking on a squid that just maybe was too large to be a a meal. But there was an incident uh, with the Brunswick that might suggest otherwise. Now, the Brunswick was a 15,000-ton auxiliary tanker owned by the Royal Norwegian Navy. That was almost a tongue twister for me, the Royal Norwegian Navy. In the 1930s, it was attacked at least three times by a giant squid. In each case, the attack was deliberate, and the squid would pull alongside of the ship, pace it, then suddenly turn, run into the ship, and wrap its tentacles around the hull. The encounters were fatal for the squid. Since the animal was unable to get a good grip on the ship's steel surface, the animal slid off and fell into the ship's propellers. So we have reports of squid actually attacking a large vessel, probably thought it was a whale. thought it was a whale, yeah. So it was trying to get a good grip on the ship, and then it just ended up getting chopped up by the propellers. But that's proof there that the giant squid will attack something as large or larger than it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and I've done that too. You know, you, you look at something and go, man, that looks really good. I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to eat all of that. Go to and attack then, a burrito. You, that... you, you, you know, you pay the price. Sure. You know, and you fall into the propeller. Sure. <laughs> a metaphor that dropped off. <laughs> so uh, unfortunately for scientists um but probably good for the rest of us humans don't meet up with giant squid very often um there is at least one report from world war ii of survivors of a sunken ship being attacked by a giant squid that ate one of the party though so that opportunist feeders you know right you're in a, a sunken ship and you may get you may get picked off by a squid. Um, work by Doctor Old Bricks of the University of Bergen indicates the blood of squids does not carry oxygen very well at higher temperatures, so a squid might actually suffocate in warmer water. So that's why we don't normally see them at more shallow depths or in warmer waters because they can't breathe. So that's they've got to stay in the colder waters. Yeah. So if, if you think in the Scandinavian seas. That's right. It's cold water. Could be some really big squid there. So how big can a squid get? Well, some people have estimated based on pieces of carcasses found in the bellies of sperm whales that they might grow as large as 100 feet. So no squid near that size has ever been documented. Um, One unconfirmed story, though, suggests they might get even larger. One night during World War II, a British trawler was laying off the Maldive Islands in the Indian Ocean. One of the crew, A.G. Starkey, was up on deck alone fishing when he saw something in the water. Now he says, quote, As I gazed fascinated, a circle of green light glowed in my area of illumination. The green, unwinking orb I suddenly realized was an eye. The surface of the water undulated with some strange disturbance. Gradually, I realized that I was gazing at almost point-blank range at a huge squid. Now Starkey walked the length of the ship, finding the tail at one end and the tentacles at the other end. The ship was over 175 feet long. So that's documented. It, yeah. It's not scientifically documented, I guess you would say. But somebody know. saw it. But somebody saw and, a and had And had enough of a view of it and uh, a reference for size. Right. 
which is always, it's always difficult. Yep. That's the tricky part. It is having a reference to estimate the size of something that's in the water. Right. But you know, the idea, um, you know, speaking of this, of, of, of size reference, the idea of using the size of the prey to predict the size of the predator, that, that happens a lot, mm-hmm. you know, in the ocean. So, I mean, I can remember being out on a deep sea fishing trip and we just happened to be catching king mackerel. Now, now you know, like a king mackerel, just even an adverse, average size king mackerel can be, you know, anywhere from five to six feet long. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a big fish. It's a, it's a food fish. Right. And, and it's highly populous and, you know, so it's, it's, it's easy to, it's easy to catch, but they're also very predictable when you, when you hook a king mackerel, it's going to run and then it will stop. And then you can gradually reel it in on this particular occasion. We're reeling in a mackerel and then all of a sudden it starts going haywire. It's running again, which mm-hmm. is not what they typically do. They fight against the line. So this thing is going every which direction. And then all of a sudden it stops. And then your reel is just going, you know, you can just spin it with your finger. Right. Okay. So real, 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 real. Finally, we pull up into the boat ahead of a mackerel with, you know, all the guts and everything hanging from the head, mm-hmm. nothing else. But when we compared the size of the head of that to the fish we had already caught, it was probably twice as big as any of the other fish we had already on the boat. And like I said, the ones we had on the boat were anywhere between five and six feet long. So if we use that as a reference, we're going to say, okay, well, this mackerel would have probably been, you know, at least, you know, one and a half to two times as big as what we're looking at. So whatever bit it mm-hmm. had to be that much larger. Right. So all of and us take it land, land lubbers, yeah, we're all we're all like, was that a shark? Mm-hmm. And and what the the guy that was, you know, running the charter, he said, I'm glad we didn't pull the barracuda that bit this thing into this boat. Yeah. So you can imagine, you know, a barracuda being big enough to take down a king mackerel and essentially one big chomp. One bite. You know, so now now we're talking about a fish that we could estimate could be, you know, 10 to 12 feet long. Right. So, um, you know, that, that again, that concept is not unheard of. So when we look at what prey that a giant squid would go after, mm-hmm. you can you can kind of estimate how big this thing must be. And, right. And they even attack things that are much larger than they are. Right. But they've still, to, in order to attack a sperm whale. Yeah, that's got to be a big If it's squid. as smart as we think cephalopods are, it knows it's got a chance. Right. You know, it, it it's not going to just randomly attack something that, man, that thing's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know I've got a shot. At right. This. Right. So the that's exception of the one big. that decided it was going to attack a ship. But I'm thinking, just like you said, I think it, it mistook it for a whale. Yeah. It know? got confused, you know, but what do you guys think? Do you guys think that the Kraken is the squid that, you know, scientists now think that's what it was? Do you think it's a giant octopus? Or do you think it's something else that we didn't even touch on tonight? Let us know. Shoot us an email. Hit us up in the Facebook group. Tell us what you think the Kraken is or was, or maybe it's still out there. Still out there. (laughs) All right. So be sure and go and check out our website, graveyardpodcast.com. Now on our website, you can listen to the show. You can follow links to purchase our merchandise. And you can become a patron. And thank you so much for everyone that has taken the time to go and make a donation to the show. It really helps Adam and I 
keep the show as as good and as often as we can. Right. Um, go and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, please go check out our sponsors. When we mention a sponsor on the show, please go by and check them out. You're probably going to find some really, really good stuff out there. So please do that. Um, so until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. Yeah.